1: Hello and welcome to the Female Gaze Podcast, Oscars edition. I'm Jesse Katz flying solo today while Alana is traveling, but that's okay because I have an awesome guest joining me today to more than hold up the other end of this conversation because I am joined today by someone who is not only so expertised in their field that they're the equivalent of a roundtable of experts, but they're also the first man we've ever had on this show. And not only a man, but a straight, cis, white man. Oh Lord, we are doing it. But if it had to be someone, I'm glad it's this guy, Scott Feinberg from the Hollywood Reporter. Welcome.
2: Thank you, Jesse Katz, for having me. It's an honor, uh, especially knowing that I'm I'm blazing the trail, shattering the glass ceiling
1: <laughs> yeah, for men
2: on this podcast, uh, just as I actually did years ago uh, when I was fortunate enough, I believe, to be the first male guest on a podcast called Girls on Men, where yes. I was not a girls a girl on men, but this was the original Jesse Katz podcast about uh madmen recapping each episode and one day i i happened to be staying late at work and I was invited to the, the great honor of joining <laughs> three or four girls who were talking about... I don't think I'm allowed to call them girls. Women on Well, we call ourselves more... girls, so it's fine. Okay. Yeah. So you're owning the term. Okay. Yeah, reclaiming yeah, yeah. the term. Exactly. All right. So Wait, I was... Uh, yeah.
1: That's really funny you bring that up. I was just going back through those archives the other day because I wanted to make sure that they still existed somewhere on the internet. Yes. And I randomly yes. clicked on that episode and heard you and heard us talking about how you were the first man... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which was amazing. Uh, although I will say, shout out to our friend Brandon Kirby, who was at the yes. Hollywood Reporter then and was also on a lot of those podcasts. Um, but great he, American. a great American, uh, great friend to all pods. Um, but he felt like more of a natural fit with us. You were a fresh perspective uh coming from the the straight cis male world. Yes. And you yes. know, it's uh it's important that we have all perspectives as part of the conversation. Anyway, so thank you. Yes, as you said, thank for you. breaking that glass ceiling on this podcast. <laughs> so you are the preeminent awards analyst, predictor, commentator, mole, spy, whatever you want to call it for the Hollywood <laughs> Reporter. You also are the host of a very illustrious podcast for them called Awards Chatter, and I it- Saw this from the very beginning. I mean, before you even were hosting that show, you were just banking interviews with amazing stars, I think, because I was one of your first producers. And with you, I met Shirley MacLaine. I think we met Peter Fonda together. And then I he... tried to
2: get you to come to Christopher Plummer, but you, I think you were <laughs> unable to. And then the person who you sent in your place screwed up the recording. So I said, I can never do these again without Jesse Katz.
1: Yeah, but here you are doing it without me um right and i'm glad and i'm a little jealous because i just want to brag about your show for a second in particular you you. you are able to sit down and have conversations with some of the most amazing women in the industry and i was going back through your archive yesterday looking at who you've talked to just in the past six months to a year you've sat down with amy adams julia roberts carrie mulligan dolly parton melissa mccarthy olivia coleman Kieran knightley glenn close carol Burnett. Barbara Streisand, Carrie Russell, Lena Waithe, and on and on and on.
2: Well, thank you. That's it's I'll tell you though, the the one that you would really have to go, you know, maybe two years back in the archives to find, but uh-huh. but that feels sort of worth bringing up on this podcast is a very valued guest that we had by the name of Gloria Steinem.
1: Oh my God, that's right. Yeah, how was that? So that Scott? was pretty.
2: That was incredible. <laughs> and you know, we we. Uh, I think hit it off. I mean, it's, to me, it was, people might say, why is Gloria Steinem on an awards podcast uh-huh. for the Hollywood reporter? And I would understand that question. And the answer is she had a show on vice where she, which she consults with sort of as a, as a advisor, especially since their, their, uh, gender discrimination issues. Um, but the, the show, uh, she basically says she put the v in vice, <laughs> and uh <laughs> she was we we it was my excuse because her show was in the in was eligible for Emmys to use that as an excuse to ask her to be on the podcast, and then what we do on the podcast is go back through somebody's entire life and career, not just what they're currently pushing and so that was really special and i I remember prepping extra hard for that one because look, it's not. I, I, I took women, uh, studies classes at Brandeis university. I'm interested. I pay attention to the world. I'm interested, but you know, I understand that's less my, uh, <laughs> my, what would you call it? My, my, um, comfort zone uh-huh. than certain other areas. And, and I really think, you know, she, she was very appreciative of the level of prep. And we had a great conversation. So that's one of the episodes I'm proudest of.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I will say, you know, you and I have had uh, tense debates in the past. Um, mm-hmm. I like to push you because I respect you so much. And thank you. Uh, I, I very much respect that you have been so embracing of Evolving as a man who's covering this very tricky industry, and to intentionally go out of your way to have very important conversations with a lot of women about what's going on. So thank, thank you, you for being such an ally, Scott Feinberg.
2: Thank you. I I, <laughs> I have, uh, you know, I, I we all have we all have room to grow, and right. I recognize that. And uh, and I will say, just this randomly brings up the the another person who I believe we we recorded together was Mm -hmm. Marsha Nassiter, who is the first woman ever to reach the level of vice president at a Hollywood studio. She's now in her nineties, but is still as smart and as much of a character as ever. And, you know, it's very interesting to get perspectives from people and certainly women of all ages, as we go through particularly this, this, you know, I guess you would call it the Me Too era or whatever, because mm-hmm. it's it obviously it's not, you know, people didn't start. Mistreating women Recently. with Harvey Weinstein, <laughs> right. uh, but the way that the rest of people regarded that behavior is what's obviously changed. And so that's been interesting just as a, a study of Hollywood history to kind of you know, speak with people like like her who are very open to discuss. I I, I hope maybe one day you can have her on your podcast because she's she would be a fascinating you know look at at how things have changed and the and the female gaze overall.
1: Well, if I can get her to New York, I would love to. There's one thing I just want to request of you.
0: Yeah. Uh-oh.
1: If if there could maybe be one day that Margot Robbie walks down the red carpet, that you don't. <laughs> tweet or instagram something about how beautiful she looks i think that would be the next step in your evolution i know she's a personal favorite of yours but i feel like you are considered a gatekeeper of All right. awards and accolades in the industry and maybe that's one of the things that we could lose
2: well i'll, I'll uh I, I don't fully accept that i do it every time but <laughs> i, I have done it and i will just say for whatever it's worth that uh you know, I have a very nice relationship with Margo and she knows <laughs> that I respect her. I, I probably did 20 things with her last season, um, which were not initiated by me, <laughs> where they, you know, various q as or things or certain. The podcast was initiated by me, but we she knows that at the same time as uh I don't know if she knows how that I I think she's uh, one of our most beautiful people of either, uh, you know, of any variety. But Uh, I think that uh, I certainly that does not come at the expense of having respect for her. And I think that to some extent, as long as we're going to have this conversation, I do understand the that. You know. The way people talk about other other people now is is evolving. Mm -hmm. But I, to some extent, think that it it can be taken too far when you're no longer allowed to compliment someone for looking good when they've obviously made an effort to look good, because now granted that can be for their own fulfillment, or I understand all the arguments. But I don't think you know it's different if it's like a leering way like Margot, leave your husband and come to me. that's inappropriate, <laughs> but you know we could keep those thoughts to ourselves, right. but I think that uh you know, I don't think that anyone is harmed or worse off because you you know you you compliment them, but look there, I understand there there it's a thin line it's a uh, yeah thin line and yes
1: thin line, gray area, all of that. I just yes. wonder it because you are look. I assume part of the reason why you get such huge A-listers on your podcast is because you are considered to be a very influential person. Like shining your spotlight on somebody means something to the industry. It it adds some gravitas to someone, especially in terms of uh, being an awards contender. And so, I mean, I'm almost just curious, like, do you feel some responsibility from that then in the way that you share personal opinions about actors?
2: Yeah, but I I just want to I hope we can establish one thing, though, for listeners who don't know me and who haven't heard my stuff. It's not like I'm a lecherous person no, who no, spends no. my whole day doing this no you're not I mean, at all i was
1: i was partially giving you shit as a friend um right. but i do think it's, it's an interesting question you're not the only person who does that and we all do it and i have definitely also been guilty of this so you know
2: yeah i mean sure do i feel responsibility about what i put out there uh generally absolutely all
1: figuring it out together right yeah Okay, so I am going to grill you all about the Oscars because everyone is about to fill out their Oscar ballots and we need your insider (laughs) point of view. And I also want to talk about um, some of the big categories uh, in terms of women who are being recognized and maybe some who have been snubbed. But first, Scott, will you please indulge me in a round of Float Your Boat and Be in Your Bonnet?
2: I would be honored.
1: Okay, would you like to start with your boat I would of like the you week. to
2: start so i can just get okay. a sense of how long <laughs> i should go on and okay, whatever fair. but i yeah
1: i think we have a lot to get to with the oscars so i'm going to try to keep this pretty short um My boat this week is all of the amazing women-centric TV shows that just announced their new season premieres this past week. So uh, the trailer for the second season of Killing Eve came out on Valentine's Day, a gift to us all. Uh, That show's coming back on April 7th. Cannot wait um better things on fx is back at the end of february that's one of my favorite shows that i feel like is always on for too short an amount of time i i don't know if they have a shorter season or just feels short to me because i love it so much but um that's the show with pamela adlon playing the single mother of three girls in la and she's just phenomenal and that show's really one of my favorites so that's coming back And Catastrophe, with Sharon Horgan and Rob Delaney, just announced it's coming back on Amazon Prime on March 15th. Thank God, because I was just in London a few weeks ago, and my friends were raving about how it had returned in the UK. And I was like, well, fuck me. I have no way to watch it. (laughs) So (laughs) it's going to be back. We got it. March 15th. Um, So we have a late winter and early spring to look forward to on television. So that is my boat of the week. All right. Your turn.
2: Well... I don't know if I'm too outside of the entertainment lane here, but I... No, there's no okay. So, in the spirit of, of the 1950s, I would like to get, <laughs> preface what I'm about to say by saying I am not, nor have I ever been a socialist, okay. <laughs> but I, I, am, uh, I, I cannot help but love Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, yes. who has been everywhere uh, since her well, since winning the primary over the incumbent in the Bronx back you know whatever in the early fall, mm-hmm. then one election in November, and since arriving in d c has been a breath of fresh air again, I'm not sure that uh, I on policy agree with everything that she i cer i would say i do not right. uh, agree with the lengths to which she would like to take everything, but there i I think her first of all her whether it's this Green New Deal that she's pushing or whatever, I think the underlying uh, effect is, or the over- overarching effect is positive in that it's going to force other people to you know, broaden their views. And most of all, I like the fact that she is sort of such an upbeat uh, person who is not afraid of of questioning authority, which is what generally, uh, you know, the the newcomers in Congress are sort of silenced and put in their corner. And mm-hmm. she refused to be from the get go. And because of her social media platform and mm-hmm. following could not be. And I think that, you know, just this past week, even there, she, she chose to focus her gaze on various <laughs> things that, that have been, visible to everybody else for a long time but people haven't necessarily called attention to like for instance this practice of lobbyists who want to be present for a congressional hearing paying homeless people to sit in yeah. the hallway to hold their spot for hours and then coming back and taking it now that's not apparently new but,
1: but we've never nobody, seen it we've never been given we seen visibility it. on that ever yeah
2: right so to me She's great. And I was very excited. I had no nothing to do with it. No idea it was coming. But she showed up on the cover of our THR Sundance issue that's because great. there's a documentary that's coming to Netflix soon in which she and the other women who ran for Congress this past you know cycle were followed, several of them, by a documentarian. And so soon, even those who are not political junkies will be introduced to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on – Netflix in this documentary which you know they will promote the hell out of and it is my greatest dream that she will uh do my (laughs) podcast at some point so we'll see
1: that feels inevitable to me um Uh. (laughs) that's a good one okay so let's move on to our bees and our bonnets uh okay Mm. so mine uh, I hate to give time on this podcast to him but before I came into the studio today because we're recording on Friday before this episode comes out I mm-hmm. was watching this fucking declaration of a state of emergency by Trump and oh, yeah. I'm not, that's not even my be because that is, we all understand what that is. My new worry, the thing that is buzzing around my bonnet is that he knows he's not going to win on this wall thing, that that's going to get blocked in the courts and that he's starting to pivot to abortion as his new, uh, red herring and, mm-hmm. and Uh, I was just listening to the hosts of my favorite political podcast, Hysteria, talk about this. Uh, They were talking about his insane claim during his El Paso rally about something about how, you know, Democrats want to kill babies after they've been born. Basically, totally insane. Came out of nowhere. And I feel like he's starting to blow another dog whistle to get all of the insane haters on the far, far, far fringe, right, to come out for him on abortion now. And, you know, when you think about the violence that he has incited in our country when he's talking about, you know, Muslims or queer people or whoever it is, uh, that... Who knows what's going to happen to abortion clinics and abortion providers if he starts doing this about abortion? So,
2: well, I just have a question for you. Yeah. Are they performing abortions on the caravan that is coming (laughs) to take us all? Or is that, you know, my my point is he just knows that when he's got nothing else going for him, he brings up horseshit. To rile up his base, right. which doesn't speak that highly of his base because it generally works. Which so these are not what you would call <laughs> critical thinkers. Right. And so I think that he's soon going to have bigger problems to worry about when they take his son to jail, and right. <laughs> you know members, other members of his immediate circle start dropping. And I think it's all going to, you know, it's going to be like the, um, it's going to be like the Berlin Wall. You're going to just wake up one day. And the dominoes are all going to fall over. I think it's going to probably have something to do with Don Jr. getting carted away. And then he pardons somebody or he pardons Manafort or whatever. And then suddenly these people who have stuck by him, not because he's done anything for them or has treated them well, but just because they felt their survival was tied to his are going to drop him like a weight. And he is going to go right to the bottom of the sea. And I think that, I, my strong belief is that he's not. I don't believe he's going to finish this first term. And I hope.
1: Okay. That but that but is even true. if but he the, doesn't, yeah. uh, I'm still worried about what's going to happen to Roe when people like Kavanaugh are now on the bench and are already writing opinions, trying to chip away at it.
2: That's true. Do you see so, RBG's back on the bench today for the no. first time? and Yeah, okay. that's her first day back. Um, yeah, I mean.
1: So I don't know. I'm worried
2: we are we are screwed in in a lot of senses because the the worst thing that ever happened was getting Merrick Garland screwed. Yeah, because and and I love Obama, but I think that was probably his greatest mistake was to just probably because he he, like everyone assumed Hillary was coming in. We didn't Mm -hmm. need to go nuclear on responding to the horseshit of Mitch McConnell in that instance. And now we are stuck with. A very bad situation, and time is not on our side with RBG. Right, it's not going to be good. There, there was a story yesterday in the New Yorker, Jeffrey Tubin, that he, there's reason to believe Clarence Thomas is ready to leave so that they can put another oh, conservative glad. who will stay there for a lot longer than he can. He's the currently the longest serving, who's on the on the bench. So uh, it's not <laughs> okay. looking good.
1: So it's grim. Uh, yeah. <laughs> my silver lining would be if some billionaire philanthropist or Jeff Bezos or, or anybody just pays one investigator to uncover the 100 abortions that Donald Trump has certainly paid for. It's just just to give me a little thrill one day, you know, just just I, to prove the yeah, hypocrisy. I mean, there is no way yeah. this man has not been uh, complicit in many abortions in his life.
2: Oh, there's no question. Yep. No question. But. Um,
1: it wouldn't make any difference, now we, but I just, now just feel we get, smug for a second.
2: Well, but right, but here now to to just on a different level go back to the what we were kind of talking about earlier, which is what is acceptable behavior. Yeah. Um. So let's say the only way you would find out that Donald Trump has been responsible for abortions would probably be to uh, you know connect with women that he's been involved with, and I don't. I think that the blowback for even asking someone, reaching out to someone about such a story would mm. be huge. And I'm not saying yeah. right or wrong, but I don't know. I think that's what makes that. That's probably why that story hasn't been reported yet, because in this current climate, I, I think that even, how do you broach that subject? Right. You mean
1: asking women to potentially fall on the sword and share something that maybe was, whatever. Painful or even yeah. if it wasn't painful, they just don't want to share it. It's private just for the sake of right. humiliating this man. Yeah, I get that. Okay, well then we're back to being screwed. Uh, <laughs> what's what's the be in your bonnet this week?
2: Well, I I have been monitoring this whole Jussie Smollett situation. Mm. This is the guy that plays Jamal Lyon, the son of Lucius Lyon on Empire mm-hmm. on TV, who in real life Says he was attacked in on the streets of Chicago because he is black and gay and apparently, you know, got into accusations that the people who did this to him, two people, I think he said, mm-hmm. um, were yelling "Make America Great" things at him, mm-hmm. and there is no positive way that this story plays out, but the two ways that it's looking like are, are either that that incident actually happened, which is horrendous, mm-hmm. or if it didn't, which has been reported, you know, there, there have been rumblings that the police are looking into the possibility that this was a, a faked thing for one reason or another, um, that's probably as bad because what it would do is lend credence to the conspiracy theorists on the in the Trump camp who think that this kind of thing is not irregularly made up or that they're that they are scapegoated for things that they didn't do and whatever. So it would be a major setback for I think that you know what it would be like is like I I, when Kevin Spacey got busted and then came out as gay as if that was going to shield him in some way. And the gay community said, go fuck yourself. Right. That this guy will have similarly, you know, used and abused his association with the black and gay communities. If it turns out this isn't true, but there's still such a back and forth. And I don't know if we'll ever,
1: I don't understand though. in, In what universe could this have been faked though? And why? I mean that I,
2: well, the, As the someone who's not a right-wing out,
1: conspiracy theorist, I don't understand why this would ever be. Like, well, you know.
2: I, I said the same thing at first, except that major, AB, I think the ABC affiliate for Chicago yesterday was reporting that they have sources inside the police who are saying that um, that Smollett had learned that his character was being ridden off the show Ugh. and Come needed on, to do something about that. And that, that one of the two persons of interest who were, who are now being questioned in relation to doing this are, uh, one of them is a person who works on empire. And also that Smollett has behaved suspiciously since he was, since this incident where normally, you know, you don't go back to your apartment for a while and then decide to call the police. You don't then refuse to turn over phone records to the police Um, you don't not show up for interviews with the police when they're trying to help you. So he, if, you know, it's hard to know which of these reports are, are fully, you know, hashed out, but I would like to think that ABC is still a fairly credible organization and they have not walked back their story. However, the Chicago police are saying that it is not accurate. So right now we're back to where we were a few days ago, which is, you know, I guess you believe the the guy until there is definitive Reason not to right. and I feel Terrible if it happened to yeah. him but well, It does seem to be under under Question
1: okay I mean Yes yeah. so either This is another case of People who do Not help our team I mean it's Like Ralph Northam's shit it's Like I just
2: got a breaking news alert here wh- Jesse Smollett attacked suspects Arrested huh. and um, I don't Know if you want me to give you the broader gist here, but they're saying two men have been arrested in the case of assault on Jesse Smollett. The men have yet to be charged with a crime. So I guess that's got to happen pretty soon. Uh Um, They raided the home of these two people on Wednesday night. We kind of I don't know what's going on here, but that's the latest.
1: Well, regardless of what happened here, It is true that hate crimes have been on the rise since Trump was elected. And when I talk Mm -hmm. about dog whistles, this is—you know—if it didn't happen to Jesse, which I still think it probably did, but if it didn't, it's happening to countless other people who aren't famous and we don't even know about it. Um, But Mm -hmm. but it is being reported, and the statistics are true, and it's frightening. Uh, Mm -hmm. Okay. And they're doing
2: it, and they're going after press physically again because of.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well. I guess, yeah, well, this could be a segue. Uh, You are a member of the mainstream media and the (laughs) Hollywood liberal elite, all of it. Limousine liberal. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Okay, so we will be right back to ask Scott about uh, that and this never ending train wreck we love to watch called the Oscars in just a moment. Okay, guys, so the 91st Academy Awards are coming up on Sunday, February 24th on ABC. (laughs) I'll give it a full plug. Uh, So, Scott, the Oscars can't seem to help but to be controversial. This year, first, there was the Kevin Hart situation. Uh, Hart was supposed to host the show, right? But he stepped down eventually over controversy regarding homophobic things that he has tweeted in the past. So then they said, okay, fine, there's no host because... They basically couldn't find anybody to replace him, right? Is that fair to say?
2: Uh, you know what? Let's okay. we're talking. Let's let's let me let's re let's reapproach this. <laughs> okay. I would say that Kevin Hart is somebody who was asking to. He, he he said it for years. It was his dream to host the Oscars, and you know was really into it. Which, to be honest, it's been a while since like a quote unquote, you know, hot in demand, like current person mm-hmm. really wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was for a while just sort of the Billy Crystals of the world and whatever right. who were who were very good. But, you know,
1: recycled not, from years past.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, once in a while you get somebody great like Hugh Jackman, who did a terrific job, one of the best ever, I think. But um, so now that but was even abs- Hugh Jackman I don't know why.
1: to me is like a, kind of a classic Hollywood guy, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he 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 could sing, dance, uh, act.
1: Yeah, but I'm know, saying I would almost put it. him in like a Billy Crystal category just because he's so you know he's a theater guy. He's he's not a Kevin Hart.
2: Like, yeah, I, I agree exciting. with that. He's more right. Yeah, anyway. But also the Academy's challenge because the ratings have been consistently going down for a variety of reasons. But they're like, how do we bring new people into the fold? And mm-hmm. so here you've got somebody who sells out arenas around the world saying I want to and, and has Netflix specials and all kinds of stuff saying I want to be a part of your show. It was a great, exciting thing for the Academy. Mm-hmm. But um, what I certainly had no idea about and what I think many people Did not know until it all started coming out was that he, you know, before he was really famous, uh, he tweeted, like a lot of us at one time or another, stupid things. His things were a little bit, I don't think I've ever tweeted terrible things about. Like a lot of us, I
1: don't think is fair.
2: No, I think that many of us have tweets we wish we could take back. Most of us don't have them about, about, you know, what you would. Right, your children, if Mm -hmm. they were gay. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was not good or smart or whatever. And now the Academy faced this. Uh, first of all, the Academy should have, I think has learned, but they should have known before that. You got to really deeply background check people before you give them the, such a high profile job. Right. I mean, we, especially in the, in the year after we saw James Gunn lose his job, Directing job because of stupid tweets and a lot of other people. Uh, now, we, since then, we've seen Nick Vallelonga, the guy from that wrote Green Book, one of the writers of Green Book, mm-hmm. who had tweeted a, an idiotic thing. And so, first of all, don't tweet idiotic things. Secondly, <laughs> if you did, you probably want to, you know, uh, tend to your garden a little bit there, <laughs> prune the garden a little bit if if you want to then remain in public life. Right. And um, so, with Kevin Hart, it was a it was it was a bad thing. But I think that most people, including. You know, the the ultimate issue is that the the, I think the most allegedly the most loyal um, and ardent fans of the Oscars are. Probably at least among them, gay men and gay people generally and Mm -hmm. certainly, you know, and men, straight men are not their their base. Let's just Mm -hmm. put it that way. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think that to have somebody who's directly insulted your base was untenable. But they were I think the Academy. And I got the sense from some of the, the vocal leaders of uh, prominent people from the gay community on, on social media that they were open to allowing this to move forward if Kevin Hart just gave a genuinely, you know, believable apology and said, look, in the last 10 years, I've I've changed and grown and I'm sorry for the stupid person I was and mm-hmm. I've evolved and please forgive me. But instead, he sort of, made him as if he himself was the victim Mm -hmm. because he was now coming under attack. And and he felt that not incorrectly, you know, people had started digging back, looking for things that he had said or done, which but that happens when you're a public person and you've got it. You shouldn't have. So anyway, he just mishandled it. I think he could have still remained the host if he and the Academy even weeks later, when when Ellen finally, you know, put the nail in the coffin. Uh, acts, and uh, unintentionally, and her own um, nail by, in her
1: own coffin for yeah, a lot well, of the queer I community. She,
2: yeah, for a lot. Yeah, she did not help herself either no. by having him on. But he could have salvaged this, and he just uh, apparently doesn't have advisors or people that he listens to around him because it was very poorly handled. Right.
1: Okay. So, uh, but now there's no host, correct?
2: Correct. First okay. time in 30 years since the Rob Lowe Snow White Oscars. Uh, <laughs> and now, you know, we'll see if that works. I, I They want to cut part of what they yeah. really have said they want to do is cut down the show to three hours. And okay. not having a monologue and all kinds of banter might help to do that. But they, you know, what are you going to lose in the process?
1: So let's talk about then the other thing they announced this past week, which has really... Set everyone on fire, which is that they're not going to televise several very important categories during the ceremony, including right. editing and cinematography, as well as live right. action shorts and makeup and hairstyling. So um I thought one of the best uh, rebuttals to this decision was made by. Uh, Guillermo del Toro, who tweeted, I would not presume to suggest what categories should occur during commercials on Oscars night, but please, cinematography and editing are at the very heart of our craft. They are not inherited from a theatrical or literary tradition. They are cinema itself. And this sentiment seems to be echoed by everyone in the industry who understands you don't have a movie if you do not have someone to record it (laughs) with a camera and to then assemble it into a movie. And so it just seems like the Academy is flailing with these decisions. I mean, I don't know, does the American public care or is this just the echo chamber of my Twitter feed? Yeah.
2: I mean, I think those are all, all of these things are true. And on the one hand, the Academy is flailing and, um, on the other hand, I don't think that if the show went forward and this just happened, the general public is going to be upset. I also think it has been misreported to some extent because they are not not going to air those categories on the show. The winners and their speeches, as long as they're kept like everybody else to 90 seconds or less, will still be aired on the show and, um, you know, the speeches and everything.
1: But Wait, what are they cutting what, with? I thought so, they what were, they're
2: cutting yeah. is the people walking to and from the stage and the transitions so that they they wanted to take a couple of the commercial breaks, present these awards during the commercial breaks, which itself is what they really could be insulted about that they are, you know, that they would, but what I'm told is that in the room, you wouldn't even know it's a commercial break. They're going to con- because okay. they don't want these people to feel like you know everybody should get up and start going to the bathroom right. or' talking to each other. So the show would just sort of continue. But that would not be on the air live. And what would instead happen is they would edit those down a little bit to save what would ultimately not be that much time. Right. But cutting the walking to and from and whatever. Now, the the reality is that the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences is in a bit of a bind because they are governed by a board of governors that includes – 17 different branches that represent all of these different categories Mm -hmm. and each of those branches has equal power. And so to cut anything like, you know, very relatively few people have seen the shorts, right? The the three categories that are devoted to shorts. And so it would seem obvious that those are the ones that maybe you don't, eliminate them from presence on the Oscars, but you do what they did with the honorary Oscars, and you say, look, in order to more properly celebrate the art form of shorts, we want to give you your own evening three months before the Oscars where you don't have to be rushed. We celebrate more categories of shorts, and then the winners will be acknowledged in the audience at the Oscars or something like that, which would actually probably be a very nice thing, except for the fact that the short films and feature animation branch, that's Mm -hmm. one branch together of the board if If they will they will not want to give up their equal treatment on the on the Oscars, and then the other branches who fear that they would be next to be booted off would stand in solidarity with them because this has happened before. And so it's very hard for the film academy to reduce the number of awards that they have to present on their show, which is part of what keeps the show, long and not always that engaging. You sure. are basically obligated to present categories that the vast majority of the general public doesn't care about. Okay. And so no matter what ABC wants to do, which is paying a lot of money to air the Oscars through 2028, there are certain things that you just cannot get rid of from the Oscars. And I was just at the Grammys a week or two ago. Uh-huh. And th- that show is like a three hour show on three and a half, maybe on which they present Maybe five or six awards, and the rest of it is all fun, you know, performances and stuff. And that's and I love possible the Grammys. Because, by
1: the way, when I watched the Grammys last week, I was like, "Oh, this is what the Oscars should be." I mean, they can't because it's filled with musical performances, yeah, which the, the Oscars thing. can't yeah. do. But it's like it's not about it's the length; not only, it's how you fill the time.
2: Well, but the, again, this is coming back to the problem, which is the right. Academy knows that nobody cares about who's winning, right? you know, best sound editing, mm-hmm. uh, outside your of the people who do it. <laughs> right. Except for your belt, but they cannot do what the Tonys and the Grammys right. and the Emmys do, which is to present all those categories that are not of interest to the, to the vast majority of people at a different time. So the Tonys right. does an hour before the main telecast and they get a lot of categories out of the way. Then the Emmys have two different, I think maybe now even three different nights that they call the creative arts awards prior to the main Emmys. And they do those awards there. And the Grammys had hours and hours earlier in the day before they went on national television. And they got out of the way a lot of awards, including ones that had prominent people up for them. Mm -hmm. But the but the Oscars do not have the ability to do that. And so now they're trying to figure out a way to to make the show more interesting, briefer and whatever. But they are they are caught between a rock and a hard place because the board is not going to budge.
1: So how do you think this is going to net out in the end?
2: I still think that this particular movie, even though it's been misunderstood, and it's not like they've cut these awards from the show and whatever. The the bad press, part of that is the result of them. Part of that is the result of them not explaining it well, which was the same issue as the popular Oscar right. and other things that they've had. Like they've not done a good job of explaining themselves. Right. I I and, misunderstood,
1: so yeah. Not, not yeah, that I'm the and, smartest and, person in the room, but you know. No, I've,
2: but you're paying attention, right. and I mean, a lot of people. A lot of people have misunderstood it, and. Uh, so anyway, they have been they have been dying a death of a thousand cuts <laughs> instead of just pulling the plug and saying like, let me just samurai myself and stop this and just take right. the go back to what it was because for the six minutes or whatever it's going to save you to not have the you know what they're cutting, it's uh-huh. not worth it. And totally. the biggest problem, just lastly, is that what they 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 right now I think I think it's their view like we've already taken the punches. We let's just go through with this and see if it actually makes for a better show. And and then if it's not good, we'll we'll end this after this after this year's Oscars. But what they don't understand is that even if it does make the show a little tighter, it is not going to be worth it because you're going to start having presenters and winners going off script and crapping on them for treating these other people allegedly like second class citizens. And so the what's going to take over the narrative of what might be a very nice show is the Academy getting crapped on. So it's just not worth it.
1: Right. All right. Well, let's look at some specific categories that we that we know we're going to see and that we can be excited about. OK, um, yeah. I think you have at this point published your official predictions, correct?
2: Uh, they went to the printers yesterday.
1: So, all right, let's start with Best Actress. So just to review quickly the nominees. Uh, Yalitza Aparicio from Roma, Glenn Close from The Wife, Olivia Colman for The Favorite, Gaga for A Star Is Born, and Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me, which I—that's probably the nomination that makes me happiest this year because I love that movie and I feel like it was generally overlooked. Um, and you had her on the show to talk about it on your yes, show. Yes, I did. I did. So I
2: actually—we've had all of them except Yalitza. Did you have Gaga? Unfortunately. Yeah, twice. Damn. Uh, Not this season, but yeah. Right. In, in yeah.
1: Okay. So, uh, oh, well, and Yelitsa doesn't really speak English, correct?
2: Uh, that was the primary right. issue. <laughs> I, I've done Q&As with her okay. when, you know, they have a translator there, but it just doesn't lend itself to it's the podcast
1: Totally. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I believe in your latest <laughs> reckoning, you had Glenn Close hedging out Gaga for this. Correct.
2: I have Glenn Close.
1: Or I, I don't sprinting know that past Gaga. Gaga.
2: <laughs> well, it's it, it's interesting because I don't know that Gaga is even the greatest threat to Glenn Close. I think it might be Olivia coleman okay. because I was going to ask you um, about that. Yeah, yeah Olivia coleman just won the BAFTA. Granted, she is British, and the BAFTA is the British Academy of Film and Television Arts and Sciences. Mm-hmm. But I think here's the the main dynamics are that. Um, You've got Glenn Close, who's a great actress, who gave a great performance in a movie that has virtually no profile. Now, that was also and and the other consideration is Glenn Close has never won an Oscar. She's the most nominated living performer to not have won. This is her seventh nom. All six prior ones she lost. So and she's not, you know, in her age bracket, there aren't that many leading roles where she could win again Mm -hmm unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And so this feels like the you better do it now, Academy.
1: But how do you feel um, about when they do that? When someone receives an Oscar, that's more for their entire body of work. Well, it's just
2: it's always have it's somewhat, but it's always happened. And it's just part of the equation. And there's no way around it, because people forget that voters are still human beings, and they vote (laughs) with sentiment, or they vote for friends. There's no way to completely remove those considerations but here's the nice thing Uh glenn close actually would be it's not a sympathy oscar she actually was unbelievable in this in this movie the thing is the movie hasn't been seen right and so what you're looking at is she would for her to win would be like the closest parallel would be julianne moore winning for still alice great performance in a movie nobody saw Mm -hmm. that nobody will ever talk about again yep except in the context of her winning. Olivia Coleman and Lady Gaga are both in Best Picture nominees that everybody saw and people really like them. But at the same time, you know, most Americans are just getting to know Olivia Coleman. Lady Gaga. It's her first movie. It's not even clear whether or not she wants to be an actress uh, beyond this or if she can act it, because there are some people that feel she's basically her character evolves into Lady Gaga. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's 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 a lot of considerations there. But I think that I would still, at the end of the day, predict Glenn Close just based on all, the only information we have, you know, SAG and and other things, except for BAFTA, everything right. kind of suggests that it's her.
1: Right. I did read an interesting piece on The Ringer this week by Lindsay Sol- Solads, who said she made a very strong argument for how Gaga's performance is way more memorable And therefore, worthy than Close's in The Wife. And just saying, like, years from now, we're all gonna remember Allie and A Star is Born, and no one's gonna remember Glenn Close's character in The Wife, which I don't know know. if I
2: agree with that. I think it would be on a, uh, if you step back a few feet and look at it, it would sort of be a travesty for Lady Gaga to have an acting Oscar (laughs) and Glenn Close not
1: to. I agree with that. I also think we might remember this moment that is Lady Gaga's debut in a very big mm-hmm. movie everyone saw. I don't think that's mm-hmm. necessarily because her acting was so amazing. I think just right. this just became a very big cultural touchstone that we were all talking about for a long right. time. Right.
2: And she was excellent, Lady Gaga. Nobody's right. knocking Lady at least here on this call, I don't think. No. But uh but that doesn't that's you know, that's great. You generally I I do think that uh, I, I don't think that what she did was harder. I don't know. I don't want to get into that. Okay. Who knows?
1: <laughs> All right. Let's move on to Best Supporting Actress. So Amy Adams in Vice, uh, Marina de Tavira in Roma, Regina King, and If Beale Street Could Talk, Emma Stone in The Favorite, and Rachel Weisz in The Favorite. So who do you got? This finding- is the hardest.
2: It's, it's the hardest category, and I'm still going back and forth about whether, you know, I, I can change predictions online right. still. And I, there, here's the thing. Um, Regina King is an incredible actress. She's won three Emmys, I think in the last four years, Mm -hmm. she, but, and granted she won for, for if Beale street could talk, which is one of her first major film roles in a, in a, in a movie that got any attention during an award season.
1: She won Um, what for if Beale street could talk.
2: She won the critics choice award Mm -hmm. and she won the golden globe award. Now, that sounds great, except that the only people who vote for those two awards are journalists, of, of which there are zero in the <laughs> Academy. Right. And so, you know, we are the same people that are also watching her on TV and know about her on TV. So then what is equally disconcerting is that she was not even nominated for the SAG and BAFTA awards, which represent sort of the heart of people who do vote for Oscars. And so to not even be nominated for Hmm. Either in the time that they have all coexisted, only one person has ever won an acting Oscar without even being nominated for either of those two. And that that? was Marsha Gay Harden 18 years ago. So I feel like that is definitely that has given me pause, even though Vegas and people would tell you that Regina King is the person to beat and she may ultimately win i cannot feel confident about predicting her like some people are and i you know rachel weiss won the bafta which huh. is interesting but yeah. i also am skeptical that she would that she was again a british actress sure. in a british voting body i'm and assuming I think here it's emma
1: stone and rachel weiss split right and that's each other what out. that's
2: what the somewhat reasonable assumption i think would be yeah. so you know that leaves you with Marina de Tavera for Roma, who nobody had heard of six months ago, uh-huh. and, and Amy Adams, who is the next Glenn Close in the sense that if Glenn Close wins and Amy Adams loses, Amy Adams is now tying Glenn Close, <laughs> as, as, or as she will now become the most nominated living performer without a win. Wow. So I kind of think that based on the nominations that you see across the board for Vice, uh-huh. which suggests that it played very well with the Academy, Uh, maybe better than with other groups, Amy Adams could win, even though she hasn't yet won anything. So it's that's a very tough category.
1: Okay, interesting. Uh, So you're not willing to say to our audience, guys, the best bet is to pick this person.
2: I don't think that there, if I were a Vegas odds maker, I would literally probably (laughs) put King Adams- and Weiss as equally likely possibilities with Stone a little behind and then Tavera a little behind that. But I honestly think any of the five could win and whoever you bet, you could probably make an argument for it (laughs) right now. I'm sort of leaning towards Adams, but I may, I may recant that. We'll see.
1: Okay. Interesting. All right. Let's look at best picture. I'm not very excited by this group this year, I have to say. So we have Black Panther, which I loved. feels like it came out five years ago, but great movie. Uh, Black Klansman, also loved. Very happy for Spike Lee. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, controversial. The Favorite, Green Book, controversial. Roma, A Star is Born, and Vice. Yeah, I
2: mean, the key thing to remember here is that it's not – it's not just a thing where you get a line and say, what are you voting for? And the one that gets the most votes wins the Academy and it's infinite wisdom has decided that everybody that they should use a preferential ballot, which means that unless that the movie that has the most votes in the first, after, after uh, the first round may not win because what they have you do is they have you rank your top five or actually it sometimes, you know, in some years it's, it's rank all of them. But Mm -hmm. the point is that they wait, each they weight each vote differently but that if a movie doesn't have an outright you know victory basically a majority after one round then they start to reallocate the ballots into different piles based on who was at number two so what the what the ballot essentially does is rewards the movies that peep tries to reward movies that people at least most people at least like so that you don't end up with like the tree of life winning when maybe 10% of the academy loves it and the other 90% hate it. They want a movie that at least across the board people would be okay with sure. winning. And now okay. that, you know, so what that means though is that the presumptive frontrunners which are like Roma and and Green Book mm-hmm. based on the precursors are actually pretty divisive. Hmm. You either love them or hate them. Mm-hmm. And so it opens up the possibility that Wait, Black Roma Klansman is divisive? Yeah, man. I think that uh, there are people that won't even first. There are people that won't vote for it because it's Netflix. There are people that won't. They don't want. They won't watch subtitled movies. They won't watch non-english or they won't watch black and white movies they don't watch movies without anyone in it who they've ever heard of Uh they you know it's slow you've got a million people that hate roma but a lot of people that love roma and obviously because of various other controversies same thing with green book but then most people at least basically like black clansmen or stars born or black panther or the favorite maybe not so much vice or uh um whatever the eighth is, which I'm blanking right now, but uh, yeah, that one I would say is pretty divisive too. So, um, the, the point is that it's, it's very hard to predict, especially in a year, you know, we're dealing with an unprecedented phenomenon where Netflix, which has never even had a best picture nominee because they get in there. There are a lot of people that don't know if they even accept that a Netflix, Film is a film mm-hmm. because of the fact that it doesn't really get theatrical and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, you've never, ever had a movie that's not in not in English win Best Picture.
1: OK, so, they've, so.
2: Well, I just that?
1: just to move us along, I just want to yeah. ask you, despite all of that, what's your prediction for Best Picture? <laughs> <laughs>
2: just cut to the chase. Yeah. Uh, I think that you still if there's not you, you would have the a harder time justifying any other one except Roma, Uh but it's crazy to be predicting something that's never happened.
1: Sure. Right. Well, I just want to mention also that you've written about the diversity of the Oscars this year and that four of the eight best picture nominees prominently feature LGBTQ characters, which is something. Mm -hmm. So even if we aren't super excited about all of these nominees, the fact that that (laughs) happened this year, you know, that's a nice little thing that we can cling to. Um, Yeah, even though, I mean, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, our friend who we mentioned before, (laughs) Brandon Kirby, will probably um, send me a bunch of angry texts when he listens to this because he's one of the many people who are very upset that uh, this movie is getting any attention or recognition, even if it does feature.
2: Well, is his issue more character. about Brian Singer yeah. or that it doesn't really show that he's living a, a gay life? The uh, character.
1: All of it, but I think more Brian Singer than anything. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, the difference is that the movie's not going to win, but right. Rami Malek <laughs> is. Yeah, so,
1: okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, just to keep this focus on the female gaze for a second, what I do want to say about the Best Director category is that there are no women in it, and I wanted to ask you... As someone who really Mm -hmm. has a handle on every possible awards-contending film released in 2018, was this a snub to obvious women contenders, or does it speak more to a lack of women helming films in general last year? And I know that this is—you really
2: want me to get in trouble, huh?
1: I'm just one like—I'm just asking you strictly from an awards analyst perspective. Were there films directed by women? that leading up to nominations this year, you thought these people might have a chance and you were surprised that they weren't recognized?
2: No. Right. I think that uh, there is... A, the bigger issue is the latter one that you brought up, which mm-hmm. is that not as many women filmmakers are getting the opportunity to direct or to, to direct you know, choice material, as, as I'm sure deserve to have that chance. Yeah. The ones who had the most you know, standout years include Deborah Granick, who made Leave No Trace, which won and for which she won the Best Director L.A. Film Critics Awards, Mm -hmm. uh, L.A. Film Critics Award. But I think that their giving it to her was partly in anticipation of the fact that she would not get attention elsewhere because just based on what the Academy has always gone for, it, it just was not likely to happen. It's not it's a movie that is not really about any any large issue. It's about a a daughter and her father. And it's a it's an excellent movie that I love. But I think that I don't think that coming out of it, no matter who had directed it, I don't think it's because it's a woman or anything like that. I don't think most people even necessarily think in those terms. I just don't think it was the, the type of Oscar friendly film that that generally gets rewarded. Right. So the she would be the the one who had the best shot this year. Uh-huh. There were there were other you know. Can you ever forgive me? Mari Heller mm-hmm. was excellent, but look, the movie didn't get nominated for right. best picture, so I don't think anyone got screwed. Uh-huh. I think the bigger issue is just that they be given you know women filmmakers be given more opportunities, and I I don't think anyone's going to argue that that would be a good thing.
1: <laughs> right, totally. Uh, okay, just jumping to some other categories where we might see some wins for women. Uh, I think for Best Documentary, you are expecting the RBG movie to win, correct?
2: It's a tough one because, to me, as a movie, the movie-free solo stands apart from everything else. I would say better than almost every non-doc movie as well. Wow! But the RBG, the thing with doc with the documentary category is that I believe a very small percentage of the academy has seen m- more than one of those maybe not even one of those they uh-huh. just it's like the shorts categories they <laughs> and yet many of them still vote because if they saw one that they really like or they heard about it or or they want to s- use that category to send a message uh they they do that and so to have a movie called RBG during the Trump era when if you've seen it or if you haven't seen it it's a nice way to send a, sort of, be part of the resistance, <laughs> right. I think a lot of people want to do that. That's not to say it's not a great doc, but I think that if it was called, you know, The Justice or something, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know that it would have as much of a shot, but because sure. people know what it is, and they hate Trump, and, you know, it, I think it will help that, but personally, I think Free Solo is a is a better movie, and I think it could still win, it did win the BAFTA, mm-hmm. but I, I, it's going to be tight.
1: And just to note, I said that RBG would be a win for women also because I believe it has female directors.
2: That's right. right? Two female, Julie and yeah. Betsy. Absolutely. There
1: you go. Julie Cohen and Betsy West. Okay. Uh, quickly, is there any chance that Shallow is not going to win Best Original Song?
2: That is probably the safest bet <laughs> of the entire <laughs> okay. night. And I feel sorry for my friend Diane Warren, who's nominated for the 10th time. For best original song and is gonna lose for the tenth time. Ugh, uh, that's that's rough. yeah, Diane she's Warren. got the song from RBG.
1: Yeah. You and I have both had her on our podcasts and she's yeah. a great person she's a character. to interview. Yeah. yeah, she really is. Um one of the most iconic people in that particular industry of yeah. um songwriting. But yeah, I've had very complicated feelings about the song Shallow that I've shared over this podcast since we launched. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is going to be the culminating moment for it. And, you know, what's going to happen will happen. And then we can all move on with our lives. Right. Congrats in advance to Gaga for that. (laughs) OK, Scott, I'm just wondering, you've covered award seasons for many years now and you're still young life, but a large portion (laughs) of it has been devoted to this. How many Oscar ceremonies have you actually been to?
2: So the first time I went was the year that I started at the LA Times. So I started in 08 and the Oscars were in '09, and that was a year when I was in the press room, and I was just thrilled to be there. I thought it couldn't get any better. Yeah. And then when I Look started at THR, yeah, well, so now I started at THR in 2011, which means the first Oscars was 2012. Okay. So 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, ninth. This is gonna be the eighth. That I've done for THR, which is good enough to let me actually be in the room where it happens. Yeah, so you have I a
1: ticket, a seat. I have a ticket,
2: <laughs> which is exciting. But you know, nothing's. Not, there's no free. There's no free suppers in this town. <laughs> you know, I uh, I gotta I gotta be working while I'm in there. But I am very thrilled to be there because you know, from when I was a little kid, this was this was like you know, Oz. So I yeah. think that uh, I definitely am not somebody who kind of like. There are a lot of people who are just like, "Oh, I have to go to the Oscars again in and, yeah, and, the and yeah i I don't believe I'll
1: ever get to that point. We'll see I really envy that i've I was thinking about this about you i yeah, I think it's amazing that you aren't over it, even though you see all of the crazy inner workings of the industry, and especially like for me, something that all this me too stuff has done um it's really eroded my reverence of the business. And it's like the phrase, never meet your idols. I'm starting to feel like you should just never have idols because it's a constant avalanche. So, you know, I, somehow you've managed to weather this storm <laughs> and still also be able to enjoy it, which, again, I just envy you for. Now, we usually end the podcast by spinning our hot takes wheel. But since it's just me and you today, I'm just going to ask you for a hot take okay. on something because this is everyone's Oscar ballot tiebreaker. So I want to ask you, Scott Feinberg, what do you think the final runtime of the show will be this year?
2: That's a great question. I mean, they are so firm in that, guys, we promise we're going to deliver a show that's three hours or less this year. Mm -hmm. I think that they can never quite control that. Like some things are going to go long. So my guess is that it will be three hours and 11 minutes. Okay. What do you think?
1: Uh 3 hours and 10 minutes. Price is right rules Are going to take the under? <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly. Damn it.
1: Yeah, well we'll see. Uh I'll be texting you for sure. All right, Scott yes. Feinberg, tell us your social media handles.
2: I am at Scott Feinberg. That's S-C-O-T-T-F-E-I-N-B-E-R-G on Twitter. And that's the only one that I really care about. <laughs> okay. And actually, the bigger thing that I really care about is yep. if you get a chance, subscribe to Awards Chatter on your podcast app.
1: Yes, I was going to say that. Definitely, guys, uh, It it is my greatest honor and a little bit hard for me to talk about scott's podcast because i wish that i was part of it but you know you teach someone how to fly and they're gonna leave you (laughs) and that's what happens and he has soared away we miss you unlimited heights uh but yeah awards chatter is amazing so definitely subscribe on all of your podcast platforms and also subscribe to the female gaze if you haven't already i think
2: so i think that they complement
1: each other nicely
2: absolutely (laughs) you know and we'll get you on ours. uh Next time you're in L.A.
1: Anytime. And uh, good luck next week. Thank you very much. And enjoy the Oscars.
2: Thank you. Talk to you soon.
1: All right, Gazers. That does it for us this week. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time.